I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. And I know Dan is excited about this episode, so I am going to let him take it away. Thank you, Bernie. First, please forgive me for my pronunciation of Indian names. I will butcher Indian names. But finally, we have something big for India. I know we have listeners in India, and uh, we haven't told you much about it, but here is something big. Probably the most famous person we have talked about in the show. And he will stay that way for a long time. He is more famous than Cyrus. And he's, of course, Siddhartha Gautama, Hmm. also known as the Awakened One or the Buddha. Aha. And um, he has many titles. Remember the Assyrian kings with all their titles? Yeah. Buddha has them all beat. Okay, so now I'm just going to list a lot of titles for the Buddha. Okay. He was known as Sakyamuni in China, Korea, Japan, and Tibet. And he was known as Gautama Buddha or Samana Gautama, which means the ascetic Gautama, probably Gautama then, in Sri Lanka and Southeast Asia. He is, of course, the awakened one or the enlightened one. Uh, Gautama is his clan name. Okay. And his given name, Siddhartha means he who achieves his goal, which is a weird name to give to a kid, unless he is on his 547th enlightened life. (laughs) Uh, Gautama, the clan name, means that you are descendant of Gautama. And Gautama means the one who has the most light. And these clans adopted names from their house priests. So this was a clever house priest, and everybody named 
the clan after him. What kind of religion were they? Sort of like Hinduism? Oh, definitely not. Okay. Hinduism is forming at this very time okay. from the Vedic religion. Okay. But the Vedic religion is big in northwest India. Okay. But this is northeast India around okay. the Ganges Valley. And here, Vedic religion is influential, but it is not the only religion. Okay. We can also call him Shakyamuni, hmm. the sage of the Shakyas. And the Shakyas is his people. And we'll talk more about them. But first we have the enormous question. The question I will form this episode around, this first episode. Okay. Is Siddhartha Gautama a historic person that actually existed on this planet at some point? I'm interested to know. In my Swedish history podcast that has not yet been released, we have done an episode about the historicity of Jesus. And the consensus among historians today is that Jesus was an historical person. And in the 90s, it was very fashionable to claim that Jesus never existed. The evidence is still the same. Yeah. But the evidence for Jesus as a historic person is a lot better than the evidence for Siddhartha Gautama. Really? Yes. Wow, I don't know. I, I really feel the evidence of Jesus is pretty slim, so I don't, okay, let's have it. It's a lot better, and there are many reasons for that, and I'll get into that. But I want to make clear that I will try not to talk about Buddhism. Okay. Buddhism didn't exist in 563 BC, because the story is that this guy created it. Right. And he's born in 563, perhaps. But this episode will be about this historic person who might have been born in 563. Historians are hesitant to make claims about the historical facts of Siddhartha's life. Most historians accept that the Buddha lived, taught and founded a monastic order. This happened during the Mahayanapada. And during the reign of Bimbisara. Uh, we talked about the Mahayanapadas earlier. Yeah, I remember this that. This is the 16 kingdoms in northeast India. Yeah. And Bimbisara is a friend and protector of Siddhartha and also ruler of the Magadha Empire. Bimbisara dies during the life of Siddhartha and his son Ayatashatru takes over Magadha. This also makes Bimbisara and Ayatashatru contemporaries of Mahavira, who is an important person in Jainism. Okay. And I'll make a separate episode about Jainism in the 550s. And given all these facts, we know the Mahayanapadas, the Bimbisara, Ayatashatru, you think that this could be dated. But when you look into the Mahanapadas, the Magadha Empire, Bimbisara, they are all also very hard to date. Mm. We also have a huge amount of texts talking about the Buddha, but they are filled with supernatural, mythical or legendary elements. Mm -hmm. And in the 19th century, many scholars took parts of these stories and tried to make them into historic facts. While just ignoring everything supernatural. Oh. 
And thus, these 19th century scholars are accused of creating a Buddha that appealed to them by removing everything that didn't appeal to them. But the historical consensus is that this is an historical person. So, and he'd lived during the Mayanapadas, he founded a monastic order. And one of the 16 kingdoms is Magadha. A lot of Indian history will come from Magadha in the future of our story. Okay. We, I mentioned that the Mayanapadas had both kingdoms and oligarchic republics. Magadha is a kingdom. Okay. Knowing all of these things, then you think we could do a date, but we can't. So there are many theories about when Buddha was actually born. The Eastern Buddhist tradition of China, Vietnam, Korea, and Japan date Buddha's birth to 949 BC. Oh. And he lived for 112 years. Oh, dear. Everyone else is uh, quite clear in that he lived for 80 years. So in most other chronologies, he lives for 80 years. Okay. There are two prevalent chronologies called, quite conveniently, the long chronology and the short chronology. And these affect all Indian dating because one of the big problems is that they still don't have writing in India. Uh. So all of this comes down to us by oral tradition, as do all the Vedic texts and the foundation of Hinduism. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So... We either have Buddha getting born in 563 or in 480. Oh, that's a difference. And as he lives for 80 years, he dies in the long chronology in 483, but in the short chronology he's born in 480. But it seems that if we had a poll among historians, the most common date would be 563. Okay. Wow, there's a lot. But this is, this is a tradition from the early 20th century. Now people are contesting it but 563 to 483 is the sort of the chronology we will go with and maybe Bimbisara reigned from 558 to 492 
and Ayashatra reigned Magadha from 492 to 460. But if you use the short chronology, all these dates change. I just mentioned that India doesn't have writing, and this is also contested. Oh. So a lot of people say that there are earlier writings, but the, the first clear writing we have, the first uncontested writing we have, are the Edicts of Ashoka. Okay. And I can't wait to talk about Ashoka. Yeah, I've never read about him before. Yes, he is the founder of a great empire in India. Yeah. And he also very clearly has writing because he's writing everywhere in India. Yeah. And he's writing in stone. So we have these inscriptions. There are inscriptions from Ashoka everywhere in India. And he loves to talk about the Buddha. Mm -hmm. But there are earlier claims, as I said, about writing as early as 500 BC. I mean, if he was writing that, somebody had a, you know, just didn't come out of nowhere. Probably Ashoka did not write Sanskrit writing. Right. But this guy, Ashoka, he, he goes around putting up these inscriptions everywhere, talks about the Buddha. He even assigns a birthplace to the Buddha. He's just, I know he was born here. Uh. And everybody who contested that was uh, not a friend of the great conquerors, so they didn't. We have, of course... No written records from the lifetime of Siddhartha Gautama. We have no written records from the century after he died, or two centuries after. Mm. So it's all the edicts of Ashoka. It's the first writing about the Buddha. Mm -hmm. And he's writing over 200 years later, 200 years after Siddhartha Gautama's death. Yeah, right. And who, could, who, knows, who, who knows who told him or what tradition he was using and that kind of thing. We also have a lot of Buddhist manuscripts, and some of these are claimed to be earlier, but we don't have them in writing. Okay. But the Buddhist manuscripts are not very interested in the actual person, because they want to talk about Buddhism things, about teachings, and they tend to skip around a lot in the tale of Buddha. So in the next episode, I will try to give you a semi-legendary account of his life. Okay. But if we assume that he's born in 563, we can maybe assume that he's a chakra. He's from the chakra tribe. And this is a sub-Himalayan tribe and clan on the northeastern region of the Indian subcontinent. So they're on the slopes of Himalaya. Okay. And it's small. It's outside Magadha. Nobody cares about the chakra. Okay. It's small. Geographically, it's small culturally. But it's, it's this tribe lives in the foothills of the Himalayas. And they are very close to the kingdom of Kosala, which is one of the 16 okay. kingdoms. Oh, okay. Uh, there's another tribe called the Kuliya nearby, which they have some rivalries with. But, and their territory ends with the high mountains. And they go down to the forests where other people live. They seem to have a capital for the Shakyas called Kapilavastu, but it's unclear if this existed at this time. Okay. Some sources describe the Shakyas as a small republic, and tradition really wants Siddhartha's parents to be important. Mm -hmm. So in some traditions, his father is the chieftain of this tribe or the leader of their council. In the 
Brahminic texts, the texts of the Hindus or from the Vedic scriptures, the Shakyas are not Vedic. So they don't subscribe to the Vedic tradition. Okay. And this is common in Magadha, that a lot of people don't subscribe to the Vedic tradition. And there are other religions. And there are actually supernatural elements in the Shakya religion that Siddhartha will include in Buddhism. And it's still in Buddhism today. Okay. Most importantly, the veneration of trees and sacred groves and the worship of tree spirits. They probably don't worship tree spirits today. But trees are important for the Shakya. Okay. So holy trees, trees can give you insight, trees are cool. There are also Nagas. Do you know the Nagas? Have you ever heard of Nagas? No, I don't think so. These are serpent beings, very common in uh, fantasy, in Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. Okay. It's like very oversimplified uh, centaurs, but they are snakes. Okay. And often female. Okay. And this is a Sakya tradition that's made it into the Buddha teachings. We will see in the semi-legendary account of the Buddha's life that he runs into supernatural beings and gods. Oh boy. So if you're not Vedic and in the area around Magadha and uh, the kingdoms nearby, there is the Shramana tradition. And this is big in the 6th century BC. Okay. And this was hard for me to understand and I apologize if I make a mistake. But Siddhartha Gautama is born into a world with many Shramanas. And with what? With many Shramanas. Okay. And he is one. So now we need to talk about what the Shramana is. Okay. And you will see why this is relevant for Buddha. Because a Shramana is a person who exert themselves, who toils, who labors for a higher purpose. A shramana is a seeker, one who performs acts of asceticism. Okay. So these are wise people who try to get rid of their desires to find higher insight into the reality of the universe. And this just seems to be a con- occurrence in this part of the world, doesn't it? We don't really hear much about that in like yes. the West or even in China. And it's definitely something that is centered around the kingdom of Magadha. Yeah. This will give rise to Buddhism and Jainism and some other traditions that is not too relevant today. Hmm. And this is sort of a counterforce to the Vedic tradition. Okay. But some Vedic elements are in it as well. Yeah. And the shamanic tradition is incredibly wide. They tend to discuss and think about everything. They can't agree if if people have souls or not. If there is such a thing as free will. If you should have a family or if you you should just go into the wilderness and starve yourself for insight. (laughs) If you should use violence or not. And if you should eat meat. Hmm. Wow. And this is, this is a huge trend in the 6th century BC. And Siddhartha Gautama is born into this and exposed to it from the very start of his life. Okay. It is like Jesus being born into that soup of 
all the Jewish, uh, if there was a Jesus, that whole soup of religious changes and things like that and thought. Yeah, and, and in this soup of looking for the Messiah. Yeah. But scholars can't agree on how much shamanism is influenced by Vedic religion or not. And there are many, many different thoughts on that, which I will not go into here. Okay. Some old texts have tried to sort of list all the different ways of doing shramana thinking. And there are as many as 62 different schools of thought in the shramana tradition. Mm. And I will not bore you into about most of them. Please. But this is also where people start to talk about yoga. Okay. Although they do, uh, do you ever see that picture from the Indus Valley where that looks like a guy doing yoga? Yes. Yeah. Anyway. And yoga is a thing in the Shramana tradition as well. Okay. So Buddha is born into the Shramana thinking era, and people judge how holy and how wise a person is by how much pain he endures, <laughs> how much starvation he endures. So the asceticism of a shramana is sort of a defines how good a shramana this person is in a sense. Okay. But Buddha or Siddhartha Gautama will react many of the thoughts of the current shramana movements that he is exposed to. And he's more intense at reforming the shramana movement than he is on fighting the Vedic Brahmanism that will become Hinduism. Okay. But he has a giant advantage. All the Shramanas have a giant advantage over the Brahmans, the priests of the Vedic religion and Hinduism, because of the caste system. Yeah. Caste system. Yeah, the caste system. Yeah. So if you are a Brahman, you are extremely high. You're, you have a high status in your society. Right. You can't talk to the people that are poor and useless and have a low caste. Yeah. But Buddha and the shamanas, they can do this. They can talk to anybody. So the spread of shamanism is sort of easier than spreading Hinduism. Yeah. Yeah, you would think, right. Who wants to be in a part of a group that you're going to be on the lowest, you know, the lowest run to start with? This era is also called the second urbanization. I mentioned that in the 570s. Okay. Where cities are growing in the Ganges Basin. And it's also an era of egalitarianism. Hmm. There's thinking not only about all these things I mentioned, but also about how to structure society. Is the king actually worth more than the poor peasant? Wow, interesting. And most... Is that the same area as the, as the Indus Valley civilization too, the Ganges oh, there? It's far, it's far to the east of the Indus Valley. Oh, okay. As I said, historians accept that Buddha lived, taught, and founded a monastic order during the Mahanapada. And that's it. That's the historical Buddha. Okay. Yeah, all right. All the arguments for his historical existence is that something happened here. Someone, this monastic order was founded at some point and somebody did it. And they all agree it was this Siddhartha Gautama guy, so he probably existed. Okay. And reading the early Buddhist texts is an enormous exercise in frustration if you're trying to get to the historical person because mm. as i said they're all over the place they don't use chronological narratives they just 
uh, this happened to Siddhartha and that made him wiser and he leveled up again and again. He leveled up. I like that. <laughs> yes, I'll talk a lot about that in the next episode when he levels up because he levels up all the time. He is extremely high level. You just see him. He's a giant Mario Brothers guy. <laughs> the very earliest biographical material that we have has a very simple story on his life. He is a shamana. He searches for enlightenment under teachers. And then he surpasses his teachers and he spends 45 years working as a teacher. But there's nothing in the earliest biographical material about him being a prince, about a lot of the details that will come into the semi-legendary material. Yeah, all that stuff. Okay. And then, of course, all the biographies are filled with these miracles, omens, supernatural events, mm-hmm. and gods. Mm-hmm. And in some of these accounts, Siddhartha Gautama is born a perfect being who is unencumbered by the mundane world because he has been reincarnated so many times that he has already achieved enlightenment. Hmm. In some of the stories, he, he is conceived without intercourse. Of course. He never needs to sleep. Why not? He doesn't need food. He doesn't need to clean himself. He doesn't definitely not need medicine. Hmm. And he is omniscient. Wow, he's very Christ-like. Oh, in some of those stories, he's just walking around teaching other people this. And there's one funny thing that will reappear. That Buddha had the 32 major and the 80 minor marks of a great man. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that is apparently a shamana thing. Yeah. There are also claims that he could live forever if he wanted, but he chose to die. But this will not go into our semi-legendary account because we have a semi-legendary account of his death. Okay. So let's start here to do a chronological narrative of his life. The semi-legendary account. Okay. In chronological order of this 80-year-old man. Okay. And his entire life, leveling up, learning all these secrets of the universe. And normally, when we do a chronological narrative, we start at the birth of the person. Yeah, it makes sense. But Buddha is the Buddhist Atva. He is Buddha before the awakening. So he is the awakened one. Mm. But he will achieve his awakening in the next episode. Okay. And he has spent hundreds of lifetimes before his birth. So we have to start there. Oh, boy. (laughs) We have that? In the Yatakas, we have 547 stories of Buddha's previous lives. Oh, my God. I would actually want to read that maybe for a little bit. That's probably interesting. That's today's book tips, the Yatakas. I got to write that down. Maybe we'll look at, what's it called again? Yatakas. Oh, I see it there. Okay. So Siddhartha Gautama has a deep karmic history before he's born. That's so cool. And the Buddha Varnsna describes all these lives before the life that counts, are, were long and arduous and took four incalculable ages. He went through life as animal, as many animals, and then as humans. Yeah, millions of years probably, yeah. Probably. Yeah, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Was he a Tyrannosaurus? I don't think they knew about Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> they didn't know about them then, yeah. But uh, now we will go Avatar the Last Airbender because there were other Buddhas before him. And he met all of them in his previous lives. Wow. And he also made promises or vows that he would become the Buddha at some point. He also received predictions from the past Buddhas. So this is, of course, pretty hard to break down. Yeah, 547. But imagine that's why you go to Buddhist school. Like if you're like a Buddhist, you probably learn a lot of this stuff. Also, the Yatakas include... A lot of bad things he did in his previous lives. Because these bad things he did will explain difficulties he had in this final enlightened life. Because he will run into problems. And that's hard if you are an omniscient being. Yeah. But in the beginning of the next episode, Siddhartha Gautama will finally be born into the semi-legendary account of his life. After all these lives he lived previously. I'm going to try to read some of those before we get to that next episode. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> but are you with me so far? 
I am with you, actually. I think the listeners are, too, because you do good. We have talked about the Sakya tribe, about the historicity of the Buddha, and we also mentioned Magadha. And Magadha will show up a lot in the podcast later on. Okay. Because from this point on, we will include India in a way we haven't done before. For now the sources from the Ashoka is around in the 3rd century. So there the sources show up, but they describe a lot happening in the 6th, 5th and 4th century. Okay. So we will include India from now on in a sense we haven't done before. Because now we have the sources. Okay, good. And if you are knowledgeable in Indian history, please help us out. I mean, Send really. Send us an e- email to simwaypodcast at gmail.com or contact Bernie through our Facebook page. Yeah. Because we want to get it right, you know, as people not experiencing it. And you're, like I said before, somebody might have went to Buddhist school, like I went to Catholic school, and, it, you know, some Buddhist was trying to talk about Catholicism. It could be tough. Yeah, but in the next episode, we'll give you one possible account of what actually happened to Siddhartha Gautama during his 80-year life. Okay. Beginning then, maybe, in 563 BC. But I will do all his semi-legendary life in one episode. And we will maybe mention him again when we talk about the kings of Magadha. Okay. Whew. Yeah. Well, I'll put some of that. I'll put some of those things that's shown. I'll look up that Jakarta's and stuff, and I'll put a couple of things in the show notes when we publish this episode. And next time we'll talk about a white elephant with six tusks uh, entering a woman's side. <laughs> what? <laughs> I said... That's the elephant in the room. I told you it was semi-lendinary. Whew. Well, hey, well, you know, Jesus cursed fig trees and walked on water and all that stuff, too. So, Which is probably also semi-lendinary. So, yeah, we'll talk about Jesus some other time. <laughs> yes, that's for later. All right. Oh, yeah, that's it for Buddha today, right? Okay. That's it for the historic Buddha. Now we'll talk about the semi-lendinary Buddha. Okay. And yeah, there's never nothing about a prince being born and him leaving his wife and son, any of that stuff. So that's as far as historians are concerned. Well, that's for next time. Oh, that's for next time. Okay, sorry. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Dan, for this amazing research. I am, I really, I mean, you know, when I started here, I was doing so much of the research because you were so busy and you still are so busy. And I really do appreciate you helping with this because it is, there's a lot now and I love this podcast, and I love all you guys. So Same here. I'm glad for everything you do. Yeah, this is great. This is a big help. Summer's hard for me, too, because, you know, it's summer. I like to do stuff. And Okay, what, one more spoiler for next episode. Okay. We will see the most feministic thing somebody did around 500 BC. And it's, of course, Siddhartha Gautama going feminist. He's a good egg. Yeah, he's a fairly, fairly good person in the semi-legendary account. Oh, good for him. That's awesome. Yeah, and it, it, Buddhism and, and, and Taoism sort of go together. Chinese Buddhism is different than Indian Buddhism, but that's a topic for another thing, too. Yeah, that's why we're not going into Buddhism uh, until yeah. a long time later. Right. I mean, that's a whole, you know, that's a whole, like, a person could have a podcast on Buddhism, too. So we're obviously not going to go that deep. And we'll also, in the next episode, discuss... Different theories about why the Buddha died. Okay. Okay. No spoilers here. I know one story that I know of, but I won't say it. But Oh, save that for next time. 
Yeah, I will. Save it for everybody. So, all right, yeah. Well, thank you, Dan, again, and thank you, listeners and Patreons. You know, like we, you know, our Facebook page. Check it out. Check out every other week we do this these um, podcasts shows, I should say, and every other week between those we have what's new in history. And now I hope we don't get a bunch of emails from angry Buddhists. I know. Yeah, I'm glad you said that too because we're just doing our best. Really, don't be angry at us. That's why I'm trying to avoid Buddhism in itself. That's a good idea. Okay, speak to you next time. All right, thank you, Dan. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.